Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChampaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard, and joining me, as always, is Billboard's deputy editor, Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Oh, hey, Keith. Uh, it's the first time I've actually seen you in the flesh uh, oh. since the Billboard Music Awards yes, over a week true. ago. Since Vegas. Since Vegas, when we uh, had a late post-show dinner before you went to the club to go see Post Malone. That's right. That's just how I work. That's just, that's just my life. Yeah. That's very, that's so you. Uh, and uh, you saw the Beauty and the Beast uh, show at Hollywood Bowl this past weekend. That's right, I did. And uh, it was a star-filled evening. Uh, Kelsey Grammer, Zoe Deschanel, Tay Diggs, Rebel Wilson, a whole bunch of people. You gotta go to Billboard.com to read his uh, highlights. And read your Post Malone recap from a week ago. Yes, um, read it all. You read everything. Um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got news about Taylor Swift, BTS, Backstreet Boys, and Drake. Plus, we'll dive into the top 98 songs of 1998, as ranked by Billboard staff, including yours truly and Keith. Uh, for once, I actually participated in one of these we little participated. critics lists. Uh, is your favorite tune from 20 years ago on the list? Stay tuned to find out. In addition, um, we've also got an interview with Jessie Ware. She stopped by our office for a wonderful, wide-ranging chat about her latest album, Glasshouse, uh, going to festivals this summer um, as a performer as well as a attendee. Um, her own Table Manners podcast, which is really good. You should listen to it and so much more. So stick around for that a little bit later. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. So hopping right into the biggest headlines over on billboard.com, I feel like, Keith, we have a little bit of hope for one day having Miss Taylor Swift on our show for one very specific reason, because she did her first interview recorded interview in more than two years this past weekend you have not heard her voice recorded or seen her face in an interview, in an interview setting. setting in two years has she done like a print interview in the past two years um, you know i feel like no 
Well, I guess maybe at the tail end of 1989, you know, promo. I don't maybe. know. I don't know. And she did not do one leading up she, to Reputation. She definitely has not done we any that. interviews in support of Reputation. So she, uh, you know, took a chance on an interview this weekend. Uh, she was performing at the biggest weekend festival in Swansea, Wales. Am I saying that right? Do you know? Swansea, yeah. Swansea. Uh, that was on Sunday. And it was a huge lineup, by the way. It was her, Ed Sheeran, Florence and the Machine, Shawn Mendes, Camila. Isn't this a BBC sponsored? Thing? Yeah, so well, very B- much like an iHeart, you know, yes. lineup. So you know, when the when the British Broadcasting Company uh, calls, calls uh, Taylor Swift flies from the United States in the from in, in the, the middle, middle of her, of her, her tour reputation tour to go and do this radio show. We're not talking about like this is part of her UK dates. She's coming back to the US to do concerts and then going back to the UK to do Reputation tour dates. Anyway, she decided to speak with a BBC uh, personality on her way off stage. She had actually performed six songs, came off, had a very like cordial conversation with this gentleman. It was very uh, concert focused, tour focused, performance focused. And then he drops a little nugget at the end that Swifties are kind of losing their minds over. Uh, he says, well, you probably need to go and take a shower now. Because a, a visibly sweaty Taylor Swift is in front of him. Yeah. After performing, who was the who was the? I don't know this gentleman actually. We gotta we gotta come up with his name. Because it, it it may have it may have been said in like just sort of a jokey. It's like I'll let you go take a shower now or something, girl. Well, he, it's like it probably was just one of those things that where it was like on the top of his mind. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm like I'm gonna let you go. How do I bow out of this interview? Gracefully? His name is Greg James, by the way. It's um, not a personality I'm familiar with. No. Um, but she immediately responded with, oh, I'm not even offended by that. Like she, which to me almost means like you probably were a little bit offended. If, <laughs> if you're going to say response. that, if that's your reaction. Exactly. Wait, so um, she, she reacted to that at, there at the moment when he oh, said. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here, here's the actual transcript. Oh, wow. I think you need to have a shower now. Yeah. Greg James says to Swift, who replied, I agree. And I'm not offended that you said that. <laughs> There's a there's a lot going on and none of it's good here. This is like looking just like none of it's good yes, right exactly. now. Exactly. Uh, you know, that's kind of funny. It, it, no, it was and like obviously she was being like quick on her toes and played it off and is obviously a professional. It also just makes me nervous that we might not see another one of these interviews anytime soon. I don't know. I wonder. I mean, I'm. I'm. You know, it's not like we. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's 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 no news to anyone listening that. Um, Taylor hasn't done any interviews, which we set up. And yeah. obviously, Katie and I were at the Billboard Music Awards. So was Taylor Swift. Yes. Um, Taylor she didn't. She took a lot of photos. She took some photos. Yeah. She took photos with us backstage. She did. Taylor Swift walked past me. Yes, she did. Didn't talk to me. Sure. And just, you know, and we saw her on the carpet, up, up at the top of the carpet. She could have walked about 30 feet to come talk to me, but... She didn't. She Whereas didn't talk to anybody. Greg James got this uh, this opportunity. So you know, I I I think um, I wonder if it was something where it was like this like elaborate setup to like the BBC was like, well, yes, you're performing, but we'd really like just a short three minute innocuous interview. Yeah, and maybe they didn't even know it was officially going to happen until it was happening because I can't yeah. imagine that Taylor, you know. He signs up for something like that and like, in and, advance. And for your first on-camera interview, it's going to be like this random off-stage thing. Like it well, seems maybe she like she liked the like smallness of that idea. You know, like that it was going to be 
you know, just like a in the moment. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know the answers to this. All we, all know. we know is that Swifties quickly jumped to her defense online. If you would like to see the the insane Twitter reaction, please just uh, go her, check this moment out on my Twitter. God, her fans seem to have a sense of humor. She had a sense of humor about she it. She definitely did. I mean, come on. Uh, she was, I mean, whatever. Uh, I feel like she probably is totally like the least concerned yeah, about this. I'm sure. Yes. I mean, the interviewer could have said, so let's talk about Calvin Harris. Let's talk about this, that, and the other. So, like, the one thing that he said that was, like, silly was, like, well, I'm going to go let you shower. (laughs) What? Okay, well, let's start. Time. Let's move on. Let's hit some of the biggest chart news this week. First up, it's all about BTS on the charts as the Korean boy band makes history on the Billboard 200 Albums chart with the first K-pop album ever to reach number one. The seven-member group's new Love Yourself tier starts atop the list with 135,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending May 24th, according to Nielsen Music. And of that sum, 100,000 were in traditional album sales. That's a pretty pretty good number. Uh, yeah. By the way, no ticket bundle either. Uh, notably, yeah. that is also the largest week ever for a K-pop album, both in terms of units and sales. BTS also makes news on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart as their single, Fake Love, uh, which the group performed on the May 20th Billboard Music Awards to deafening screams from fans and the audience, bows at number 10. BTS is now the first K-pop act to debut in the top 10 of the Hot 100, and just the second K-pop act to hit the top 10 overall, following Psy. Uh, Psy, of course, at the top 10 with Gangnam Style in 2012, and then Gentlemen the following year. It was all Psy. It was all Psy. That's K-pop equals Psy. Yeah. And now BTS. Yeah. Um, Next, uh, and if you're wondering what's number one on the Hot 100, uh, since we haven't mentioned that yet, um, there's actually a change at the top of the list. That's right. A new, well, not so new, number Hmm. one, uh, in the form of Drake's former number one, Nice For What. It's back atop the list as it bumps Childish Gambino's This Is America down to the number two slot. In fact, Drake has three songs in the top six this week, as his former number one God's Plan is number three, while his collaboration with Little Baby on Yes Indeed indeedily zooms from number 49 to number six thanks to big streaming numbers. Basically, the trick is, if you're kind of like an under-the-radar artist, like uh, Little Baby, I suppose. J.B. Block Boy. J.B. Block Boy. Now, I wouldn't say they are unknown artists, but... New. But they are up newish, up-and-coming just somehow find the guardian angel named Drake yes. to collab with you That's and all. you will and to make sure it's on streaming services. Yes. Um because basically just anything Drake if Drake was just reading his like dry cleaning list, he'd have a top 10 hit. Well, we'll see what happens with his couple of songs he dropped out of nowhere over this past weekend. You know, this actually kind of makes me uh yeah, I'm actually kind of wondering now. You know, we joke we joke about how like the one chart record that no one will ever beat possibly is the Beatles record of having the entire top five. Yeah. I have a feeling that could Drake actually could be that person. Drake will be that person. If it doesn't happen in the next few weeks with the new singles, it could happen when Scorpion drops yep. his album. Oh boy. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. Stay tuned. I'm actually thinking about that a little bit too deep and uh, like that would be very, like, very crazy. And that would be crazy for my job specifically. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, well, um, meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, elsewhere on the Hot 100, Backstreet's back. All right. Uh, we it, talked about this last week. And, and Yeah, indeed. Another boy band, Backstreet Boys, debut at number 99 
with their new hit, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. I say another boy band because, you know, of course, BTS is a boy band. Of but course. But Backstreet, I think, is like a man band at this point. Huh. Um, well, the track, uh, Backstreet's new tracks, also starts at number 32 on the pop song's airplay chart. Their first hit on that list in over 10 years since Inconsolable hit number 34 in 2007. A fun fact from Gary Truss, he pointed that out, out online already uh, about Backstreet, that the group extends its span of hits on the pop songs chart to a record 22 years and six months. They arrived on the list in November 1995 with We've Got It Going On. Hmm. We got it going on. I feel like I should know that song. It was, uh, they played it a lot in the Disney Channel promos for when they did a special. Oh, right. That's where I've, Mm. that's why I know it, like, very vividly. Probably why I don't. Ah. Um, well, Backstreet Boys now pass up Madonna for the longest span on the pop songs chart. Heavy sigh. Um, as she went 22 years and four months between her debut on the chart in 1992 with Erotica, which, by the way, was the same month that the chart actually launched. Um, through 2015. So it's kind of... Technically, if this chart existed when Madonna came out, she would have an insanely unbreakable record. Yeah, but then so would have, like, Barbara Streisand or something. Like, had the pop songs chart existed in the 60s. This is fair. But, you know... Keep going back, yes. You know, but I think what it does say, uh, you know, especially just sort of specific to artists that sort of established themselves from 92 forward... It shows the longevity of Backstreet and also actually shows how they were they're able to actually get a hit on Top 40 Radio. I think it's also interesting to show how they like have leveraged Las Vegas because I feel like a lot of times people think, oh, it's just like a nostalgia play. Like it's a retrospective when you go to Las Vegas. Obviously, Britney, J-Lo have proven that all wrong. But like... Backstreet Boys really went in like we're gonna celebrate our you know '90s early 2000s catalog, and now they have a radio hit. Yeah, I you mean, it, and I don't think necessarily the acts that are in Vegas necessarily are having lots of. I mean, it, I think it's a blend. There are some contemporary hits. I think, I really think this is a hit record. Yeah, um, and I don't think necessarily like. Uh, Britney and J-Lo have had like humongous pop hit records since the residency started. But then there's De Niro. De Niro, which De Niro could be enormous. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, that's a J-Lo's track, by the ah. way. I mean, you probably know that. Um, well. So, speaking of Backstreet Boys, yeah. let's talk about 1998. Let's. 20 years ago. Um, it's actually 1998 week over on Billboard.com. It was a very good year. It was a good year. It was. It was a solid year. And um, we actually ranked the top 98 songs of 1998, all based on our own, you know, loves. We actually uh, pulled a, a wide swath of Billboard.com and Billboard magazine writers, editors, beyond chart directors. <laughs> And Do we have like a? Are we allowed to say how many people participated? I actually don't know how okay, many people. Okay, yeah, because it didn't just, say that online. When you look at our list online, um, we like a bunch of us split up the blurbs, and I think that probably like 12, 13, 14 of us wrote the blurbs. Definitely for, more than that voted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like I would say, north of twenty people put together all voted, and we all ranked our lists. Uh, we made our own number one. We could make the list as long as 98 items if we wanted to, or as short as 10. Yeah, mine was somewhere in the 20-somethings. Mine was in the 30s. Yeah. So Keith and I both participated, and so we feel a little bit of you know ownership stake in this, uh, this also, list. Also, it's a great year for pop music. It like, was. I, I've, I, like, 
most most things that were hits, like I have a, a vivid memory yes. of, of, of experiencing the song in some fashion. 100%. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like I was pretty familiar with every song that was on the master list that we sort of chose from. Yeah. Um, I should say songs were counted as eligible if they were released as singles in 1998 or if they debuted on the Billboard charts in 1998. But if they didn't hit the Hot 100 until the next year or if they debuted in 98 but didn't hit number one until the next year... We're counting them for 1999. So there might be stuff that came out in 97 that became a hit in 98, but we're not putting those on this list. I would it say was a single like the most obvious example of something that we left off that people would definitely like, you know, uh, have some things to say about. It would be Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. It came out in December of nine. Of, no, no. When did it come? It came out in 1998, but it didn't hit number one until 1999, which mm. is why Andrew chose to, I say Andrew, I'll just throw Andrew under the bus. Our coworker Andrew Unterberger kind of spearheaded this entire Yeah, he, he devised the guidelines and the rules for this because you have to kind of have some sort of guidelines of like, what is a 1998 single? Yes. And it's kind of amorphous in a way. Yeah. And Shares Believe is another example that of one that was yeah. released in 1998, but didn't hit number one one until 1999 and then so there are some things that maybe came out in late 97 and then hit its peak in 98 right that, exactly that there's here. definitely examples of that got it so i feel like let's just give the people the the top 10 uh you know as we said there's these are the top 98 songs so you check it out online to see the whole thing <laughs> yeah but um counting backward from number 10 we have jay-z's hard knock life ghetto at anthem uh number nine keith what is it and i feel uh, madonna's ray of light a great. We actually were both sort of surprised it wasn't a little higher. I ranked that number one on my of list. Of course you did. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Backstreet Boys. Everybody, Backstreet's back. All right. Which has kind of been the anthem of their Vegas, uh, you know, residency as well. So yeah. that it's all full circle. Number seven is Outcast, Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. Number six was my vote for number one. Really? The Verve, Bittersweet Symphony. First of all, it's an amazing song. Obviously, samples heavily from the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Uh, also has an amazing uh, feature in uh, the movie Cruel Intentions, which that's just a good soundtrack. And that scene with that song at the end, Reese is triumphantly driving away in Ryan Phillippe's car. Keith's looking at me with a blank stare. Never saw the movie. Hopefully somebody listening appreciates the use in Cruel Intentions. Okay. Uh, number five was Brandy and Monica, The Boy Is Mine. You need to get it. Huge hit. That was like a, that was like a massive, yes. massive, massive 1998 hit. We'll have more on that in a little bit later. Oh, yes. Uh, number four, NSYNC's Tearing Up My Heart, which obviously I've ranked very high. It was in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, Natalie and Brulia, Torn. Great, great song. Yes. A cover. It was? Yeah. Maybe I knew that and I just forgot. Yeah, people do not often know that. Uh, it is a cover of a song that was, you know, not a popular big song. I think it was, I forget who it was by. Wow. But yeah, it was a, it was a cover. Huh. Uh, number two, Lauren Hill, Doo-Wop, That Thing. I think that was very high on both of our lists as well, yes. Oh, yeah, I think that was in like my top three or four yeah, or something same. like that. Yeah, same. And then our number one, which I totally support and was my number two, so I feel pretty good about, you know, it being so high, was Aaliyah, Are You That Somebody? Yeah. Uh, yeah, incredible production from Timbaland with all sorts of, you know, baby crying noises and all sorts of, wa- like, wacky things. So pretty representative of the year. Yeah. Yeah. We, it's, a, it's a nice cross-section. I think so, too. There's some hip-hop, there's some R&B, there's some rock, there's some pop. Um, you have kind of the uh, 
uh, I mean, I guess you could say old guard, you know, with Madonna, you know, who had been around since at that point, since the early 80s. And then, you know, the, the newest of the new, you know, with NSYNC and, uh, you know, Lauren Hill and, and Aaliyah to a certain degree. I mean, the very beginning of Outkast, really, too. Like, yeah. they're, you know... Rosa Parks leading into their their bigger hits, but um yeah ninety eight was a great, I mean, we we say like man was that a good year? It's like no really that was just a chock a block just great year for kind of not just pop music but also just sort of music in general, um and I, yeah people talk a lot about have you heard the uh, the word monoculture when people talk about the monoculture. I know the term. But Basically meaning that, you know, back in this time period, uh, you know, people, there were fewer channels to watch. There were fewer um, avenues of getting music. And so, like, people pretty much, you know, looking at this list, they would recognize pretty much all, almost all 98 of these songs. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I you know what You know? And so, like, but one of the things Andrew pointed out was that in 99 was when Napster really started. And everything and, started to diverge. Yeah, and Napster really led to the iPod, to uh, iTunes, to streaming, to everything else. Like, that really made it so you could personalize everything, and you weren't just listening to the one mainstream top 40 pop station in your town yeah and that's where you're getting your music silvio my boss silvio pietrolongo who's the vp of charts at billboard we were having a similar a very similar conversation uh last week when we were looking at i don't know we were just it was late in the day and you know you do that thing it's like hey look at this chart from back in whatever and we were looking at some chart in like the mid 80s and you know we were both like we remember most of like every single one of these songs in the top right. 40 quite clearly right and I was a child, but he was a little bit older. And I said, you know, I don't know necessarily all these songs that are in the top 40 this week on the Hot 100. Exactly. And that's what happens. You know, back in the 80s or the 90s, you got all of your music fed to you through your local top 40 station. MTV. Or MTV. Yeah. And that was basically it. Yeah. But now everything is just so curate your own list. And like you, you fragmented. only... Fragmented. It's so super fragmented. That's why we have, I think... That bleeds over into things like, you know, like Grammy Awards and, you know, watching award shows where it's like there's not just one person that is like everyone's favorite anymore. Yeah. Like that. It, it's just hard to have one superstar yep. because you really need to like be embraced by everyone. And that's why there's only a handful of Beyonce's yeah. that exist now. Beyonce might be the only Beyonce yeah. right now. Well, there is that. Um, uh, okay, well, thanks for going down memory lane with us. Yeah, we, we tweet us. We can talk more about yes. this. Um, well, now it's time for our interview with Jesse Ware. Uh, Jesse actually dropped by our New York office a few weeks ago, just as her tour was wrapping up, but before she heads out on the road for a series of festival dates starting at the end of June. It was altogether a really fun and enjoyable chat. Uh, Katie and I were here on the phone in L.A., but it doesn't sound like we're on the phone but whatever, you'll hear it in a second. Um, and you can see why Jesse herself hosts her own podcast, which is called Table Manners. If you haven't actually listened to it, do it now. Go check it out. It's great. It features her and her mother making food for a guest, and then they basically sit around and chat whilst eating. Um, so we talk about the podcast and how she got Ed Sheeran on the show and some other famous people. But we also discuss how she's playing a bunch of festivals this summer, plus her own personal tips for festival goers and they're actually like legitimately good tips yes they're not just like oh bring sunblock it's like actually good tips um because she's like a festival fan herself um we also talked about the making of her latest album glass house and much more so take a listen to our chat with jesse ware 
welcome to the Pop Shop Podcast, Jesse. Where? <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I am feeling a little worse for wear. I had a big show in New York last night and maybe celebrated a little bit too hard and forgot that I have another show this evening. <laughs> so that was really stupid. I actually had some, um, uh, f- there was a former coworker of mine and an acquaintance of mine that both went to the show last night and they were Instagramming stories about it and mm-hmm. they were in love with the show. So <laughs> you have a lot of fans in New York. No, it was really special. Um, well, as we record this podcast, you're actually wrapping up your solo tour. Um, mm. And I'm just curious, what's been the best part of the tour for you as it's winding down, aside from obviously playing tunes from your new album, of course? Uh, I think the best part of the tour has been realizing how, and please excuse the pun, um, devoted my fans are, because I think, no, it's really annoying. It's like a perfect word and (laughs) annoyingly refers to my first record. Uh, Devotion, out now. Um, But uh, no, I I just, I, I really, it's kind of really made me very confident about my fan base here in particular, that they are, they're there and they're mad and they're, completely invested in me and supportive and you know there's been um some I wouldn't say hairy moments but maybe some uh slightly less full shows um in middle America and there's but they've kind of almost been the most magical shows as well because this little army of fans they stick together they kind of this this whole network of them on the internet which I don't think I've been aware of um in the last two records so I think that's what this touring has really um summed up for me that my fans aren't going anywhere and they're growing slowly slowly is that hard you know what you brought that up is that hard to play shows and say you know somewhere where you know compared to New York or LA where you may have a very rabid you know full room versus somewhere in the middle of America where maybe it's not as packed full of rabid crazy fans is that difficult for you or do you find it more of a challenge Um, I think um, I think I was um, spoilt at the beginning mm. um, when I first started touring the States where I was playing much smaller sh- shows but they were selling out kind of instantly and you know um, people have ambitions for me and we you know you get bigger shows um, and you can't I couldn't feel them but I think to answer your question in a very long convoluted way um, I think that it's actually made me appreciate the people I think it's made me actually perform better and it and don't get me wrong like there's an part of your ego is uh, slightly bruised but (laughs) almost I think you put on a better show and there's that intimacy with the crowd where you know I like to chat to all my fans anyway and you can't do that if you're playing a 2000 room capacity annoyingly but in these other rooms I definitely could chat to them and I think that was really lovely and it's kind of building this relationship and I appreciated it so much for them even um, bothering to come out. I think, you know, the first time maybe when it wasn't busy, you're like, uh, 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 and then you realize actually a gig's a gig. And whether there's one person in the room or 6,000, you've got to put on a good show. Um, and and it was, uh, it's been eye-opening and actually I think really good for the soul. <laughs> Um, you know, sort of on the opposite end of that scale, you have a bunch of festival shows lined up this summer, and you'll be doing a series of festivals starting in June, and then on through September. 
where you're going to be playing to many thousands of people, you know, in a big field somewhere in the <laughs> middle of Europe. Um, you know, when you do a festival show, and I think I already know the answer to this, is it harder or easier than one of your own gigs? Because you already just talked about how you enjoy talking to the crowd. So that's probably not as easy to do at a festival show. It's, you know, in a festival gig, you have to make an impact really quickly because there's so many other people on and there's so much competition. So I kind of love rising to the challenge of that. And sometimes it works, your goes your way. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and but when it does and you see that the crowd is getting bigger rather than they're leaving um, <laughs> you feel really proud of yourself and I think for me it's a real chance to win over some new people and you know people that maybe are dubious about me that have come to maybe hear one song or to check whether I'm any good if you can keep them for a few songs before they go and see somebody else I think that's a, a winner so for me I quite, I like the challenge I think like you're very indulged when you're going on your own tours people are coming to see solely you you know they're paying that ticket um, price just to see you but when you're at a festival like that you know there's so many people so I really I think they're so exciting and I love it are you a fan of going to festivals yourself as a fan? Yeah, I really am. I mean, now I go as work, but um, even just going to Coachella on the Friday, and I was playing on the Sunday, but I went as a pundit, met up with my mates, um, found out about this band called Tank and the Bangers, and yeah. was like, they're so cool. And for, for a second, I remembered being a, like, you know, I said pundit, I meant punter, sorry. Uh, whiskey. <laughs> whiskey. Um, but, uh, yeah, like being a punter, it was really fun. I think that, uh, unfortunately, I think my heyday of enjoying festivals um, and that kind of being with a big throng of of friends uh, is probably gone now that basically I'm usually backstage and kind of in and out. Um, but, yeah, I absolutely love festivals. It's such a chance to discover new talent well since you're a, a, obviously a fan of festivals uh you know we wanted to ask you and you're not prepared for this because we didn't prepare you for this do you have tips for festival goers this season you know for people that you know is it about is it about hydration is it about sunblock is it about how to plan your schedule accordingly so you hit all the stages that you want to hit like what what would you do if you were going to a festival like what tips well, do you have? okay so i'm a bit of a control freak so i do love a schedule even if you don't stick to it, I think it's very reassuring to know that you've kind of plotted your way around. But sometimes the best moments in festivals are when you get completely lost and you stumble across something. So but I think like, you know, best laid plans, you know, you have the schedule, but you don't necessarily have to stick to it. Um, don't wait for people to go to the loo. That is one of my biggest tips. You, If you're with a group of over three people, everyone needs a wee. And it's so annoying. Stick to about three people at a festival. Do not wait for everybody to go for a wee. Otherwise, you will just be at the toilets the whole of the festival. And it's infuriating. And there really uh, aren't that many people playing at the toilet like stage. No. Really. Yeah. no. So it's just, it's, it's really annoying. So sometimes you just need to snake off with like two other people and you'll have the best time um sunscreen doesn't really apply to uk festivals because it's always raining usually oh, so right, yeah. um <laughs> what i would have is some dry shampoo sunglasses and some sanitary wipes yes oh these are very practical tips yeah, I have <laughs> well, to I'm say. so really i don't fit into <laughs> festival kind of surroundings very well so I have roughed it, don't get me wrong, but 
long like, gone are the days where I'm going to camp, I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're touring in support of your latest album, Glass House, which marked your third top ten on the official UK albums chart. And you were nominated for a Brit Award earlier this year, so congratulations for all of that. Oh, cheers. And um, by the way, I am interrupting Katie. I was when I was googling pictures. I was like, "Oh, did did Jesse go to the Brit Awards?" And yes, of course she did. And I was looking at pictures, and there's I th- I swear a picture of you coming out of an after party, and I think you're holding a hamburger. Um, uh, it was Dude, actually pizza. It was pizza. Okay. Yeah. Um, you look like you're having a great time. How I don't even know how that came uh, on uh, the internet. I mean, I'm an idiot. I leave an after party with a bit of sliced pizza in my hand. Um, but I, I literally went for the pizza as well. Um, so yeah, no, sorry. What was your what was your question? There, there was absolutely no question there. It was just me commenting <laughs> on like you having food in your hand. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's just day to day. You know, yeah, I love food so much, <laughs> and uh, the highlight of the Brit was probably was that slice of pizza. <laughs> oh, now, now. Uh, um, but now we're going on to a real question. Yeah, back to that album. Um, I read that you recorded uh, some of it while you were pregnant with your first child. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pregnant and then once I'd given birth. So I I recorded Sam when I was, uh, the song Sam, I recorded at Ed Sheeran's place in Suffolk when I was like about eight and a half months pregnant. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, and you know what? It's just, it's lovely to think back to that day. It was a really sunny day and... Ed's family were there and Benny Blanco was there and like lots of my friends were there and it was just it was it was really special and um yeah it was wonderful um you know uh, but the, yeah most of the songs were written um and performed after she was born hmm. so is it safe to say that like some of the music was inspired by either you know carrying yeah. your child and your daughter herself absolutely i mean i uh, i kind of was unaware of how much this record was to kind of chronicle um my 18 months of kind of being pregnant and then becoming a new mum and Hmm. to look back and and I've said this in an interview before but you know when I went to choose the songs they all kind of had these very uh, vivid memories for me from you know whether it's a, a song like thinking about you which is me going to the studio and working with my one of my great pals, um, Kid Harpoon, and feeling completely guilty to be working when my daughter was, you know, probably about f- five months um, old. And I, uh, and that, th- that th- kind of tossing up what, what's more important and completely feeling torn, and th- that never goes away, I've realised. Um, and then, you know, Sam, where I'm pregnant and I'm with my friends and I'm writing with one of the best people in the world to write with. And, um, and then I don't know things like selfish love, writing with like Benny in his house in LA, where I had the baby's in the room uh, <laughs> with my husband, and like kind of just on, lying on the bed, and and you know kind of doing a vocal, and then probably <laughs> breastfeeding, and um, extremes. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, album. but kind of just just really, really, really special, really wonderful, wonderful memories. Is she on tour with you? She was. Um, mm. She was in LA with me for a couple of weeks, and then I, yeah, I mean, it's just too expensive to yeah. Yeah. be able to. It's it's been really hard. Like it's the longest I've been away from her. And, oh man. Yeah, you know, but we, 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 I'm nearly there, and it's been an amazing tour. And 
uh, I've, I've got to work, but yeah, it doesn't make it easier being away from her. I'm sure. Uh, and that's Katie speaking as a new mom. So, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I get when, it. When, when, how old's yours? He's eight months. Oh, wow. That's, it starts getting really fun now because they kind of have show their personality. Exactly. Yeah. No, totally, totally. But yes, oh. but, I, but I totally feel everything you're saying right now, oh. for sure. K- K- <laughs> Katie's baby, uh, baby boy Cal, has his own Instagram account. Oh, um, lovely. And I follow Cal. And the other day, I haven't told Katie this because I've been actually out of the country for the past like week or two. And I was going to tell Katie, and I'll just tell you now while Jesse's here <laughs> sure, with us. Sure, sure. Um, you posted a picture of Cal, and sorry, Jesse, but Cal actually looks like Dan, your husband now. Like, mm. he didn't really start to look like a human until exactly. kind of Exactly. They look very alien when they're first born, <laughs> and now he's like a little boy. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, tell me tell me if you agree, but, like, um, it's very annoying when the baby looks exactly like the husband. Because <laughs> you're like... <laughs> I got stretch marks for this shit and I pushed you out and I'm sorry the narcissist in me wants you to look like me a little bit more well he looks I don't like know, maybe too I mean. oh okay fine that's just me then okay cool I, I saved that real quick didn't I, love I? It. um well, I was listening to your podcast actually table manners Jesse is a podcast host and your daughter made a guest appearance on an episode, and in each episode, with some help from your mother, uh, Lenny, Lenny, it's correct, Lenny, did I say that Yeah, right? yeah, okay. Lenny, yeah. Um, it features you and a guest chatting and eating some food, usually, I, I want to say usually that your mom has made, right? Yeah, I mean, she's definitely done this thing where she's like, I, I can't do it tonight, you're going to have to cook tonight, oh. and then... <laughs> With uh, with George Ezra, he ended up getting a, a takeaway because I messed up the meal so much. So, yeah, it's better if Lenny cooks. So suddenly the podcast takes a turn. <laughs> does your mom yeah. give you? Uh, does your mom give your uh, you any career advice? Is she a sounding board for you? Uh, sounding board, more like a foghorn uh, in my ear, <laughs> stressing me out. Yes, she gives me lots of career advice. <laughs> When I don't even want it. Yes, she's constantly there being a pushy Jewish mother and also a kind of worried Jewish mother at the same time. So it's uh, it's incredibly stressful taking career advice from her. But actually, she, I do care what she thinks and, and I think she's got lots of um, great ideas. But it's been funny working with her. You know, you don't ever think you're going to work with your mom and it doesn't really feel like you're working anyway. Like we're just basically fighting in a kitchen like we've always done. Um <laughs> And talking about food, which is what we always do as well. So it's great, but um, it's funny. It's funny. You know, we're going to do a book deal, uh, which is ludicrous, um, f- with the podcast. And uh, wow. And, and now my mum, I think, has realised that, like, it's a thing. And <laughs> it's kind of... It's, Uh-oh, it's going to her head now. It's not going to her head, but she definitely has lots more opinions. I mean, she didn't mm. even know what a bloody podcast was when I asked her to do it, which was perfect because I just kind of got her in. And said, Mom, I'm just going to cook and we're going to invite really interesting people around you. You're going to get to meet loads of lovely young people. And she's like, she loves young people. She always wants to be on the young person's table at the wedding because she thinks it's far more interesting than being with the oldies. So I thought it was just a winner. And, uh, and weirdly, it's taken on this kind of life of its own. Whose I, whose idea was the show? Obviously, it wasn't your mom's. Was it yours, or did like some producers come to you and say, "We have this fabulous idea, Jesse. What do you think?" No, no, it, it was mine, and I still kind of. It was. I think it was. I was pregnant, 
and I was probably thinking about the fact that like maybe I'm not gonna be able to be a singer and be uh, I was probably stressing out about my life no I wasn't I was I, I, I got <laughs> pregnant and my friend Jamie was really into podcasts and he was like dude you are so nosy you should just do a podcast and then I was like yeah but it can't just be like me interviewing like music people that would be kind of whack and um I don't know what can I do that makes it feel less like I don't know and, and so I kind of just factored my mum into it because I've got this very romantic um these romantic memories of having people round and being so proud of my mum and her cooking and it just being this really special thing where we'd invite people around for Friday night dinner and um it would end in dancing and Whitney Houston and Quantro and it was just lovely and so I kind of tried to apply that to this podcast format um and we were definitely making it up as we went along and we've kind of refined it now and we know what works. But um, it's, it's yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Wow. We're sort of jealous of you because we've been trying to book Ed Sheeran on our podcast forever and you had him <laughs> on your show. And you also it's because had... we dangled sausages in front of him. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, we need to get food involved <laughs> All here. we have to do is just tell Ed, we'll have food and he'll show up, sure. It, um, it may work. Yeah. You've also had Sam Smith, Benny Blanco, George Ezra, Paloma Faith, um, among many other guests. Uh, do you book your own guests for this since many of them are, are your friends? Yes. And my, wow. and my And my contacts book is definitely a little thin um, now because <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So, you know, it started as favors. So I kind of was like, babe, will you do this thing? And kind of asked Ed and like asked Annie Mack, who's a great DJ, who's always been really supportive to me. And I know she's got lots to say and Sam Smith, you know, I pulled in the favors and Benny obviously <laughs> is just Benny and he's wonderful and should have his own podcast. Um, and then what's happened is that people now it's got a bit of a reputation. It's, you know, um, people are asking to be on it or, you know, it's made it easier to approach strangers. So I approached a food critic called Jay Rayner, who was like, that would be an absolute pleasure. And um, we had a really great journalist called Stacey Dooley. And I feel like it's kind of reaching uh, more and more people and that's going to hopefully make it easier to, to book. But yeah, it's, it's all me. And, uh, wow. and, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's that awkward thing where you kind of don't want to ask the favor, but then you do. But I found myself, um, kind of, I did, uh, there's a TV show called Jules Holland that we have. Mm -hmm. It's like one of our only music shows and it's really prestigious. And I was very lucky to be on the New Year's Eve special. And it's basically, they film it like a month before New Year's Eve. <laughs> and, uh, but they treat it like New Year's Eve. So it's like, yeah, you know, they, they do yeah. the countdown, they go, Happy New Year, you're all <laughs> drinking. And um, so by the end, I, and Ed was on the, on the show with me and he had very delicious wine on his rider. So we got really drunk. And, uh, you know, I saw these kind of actresses that go, because it's quite a do. And I just kind of accosted them after. I was like, Vicky McClure. Oh, you, she was, she was in this thing called This Is England, which is amazing for film and, and TV show. And um, she's an amazing actress. And I was like, you, will you be on my podcast? I was kind of like drunkenly asking people. Um, I'm, I'm not drunk people, all the time, you, by the way. You. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, it seemed to work for a bit. So, <laughs> so that's yeah. the trick. Just get drunk uh, on wine with Ed Sheeran at Jules Holland New Year's Eve recordings, <laughs> and you'll have the next series booked solid. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I, I, golly, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, yeah. As people listening to this can obviously understand why 
your podcast table manners has been so successful because it's just it's like a lovely chat it's just warm yes. and funny and you're so hilarious mm, thank you. Oh, and thank you. um of course make sure everyone that's listening to go check out jesse uh, on the festival circuit this summer and to go listen to her album glass house go get it go buy it go listen go stream it just do all those things uh, thank you so much, Jesse, for coming in. Such a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. It's been really, really lovely chatting to you. Thanks again to the lovely Jesse Ware. Make sure to check her out on the road for her full slate of tour dates visit jessieware.com slash live and to subscribe to her table manners podcast just search for table manners on your favorite podcast provider and now it is time for me to keep talking because it's time for the chart stat of the week (laughs) since we're celebrating all things 1998 let's go back to the may 30th 1998 dated hot 100 chart where Brandy and Monica's The Boy Is Mine debuted on the list. The track opened at number 23 and then zoomed all the way to number one the following week, marking the first number one for both singers. The track held atop the list for an amazing 13 weeks, and it continues to hold the record for the most weeks at number one by any release on Atlantic Records. Uh, Also, fun fact, it did not end up as the number one song of the year on our year-end Hot 100 chart. Want to take a guess as to what was? I mean, I know from looking at our list that Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On was the 1998 song? Nope. Aerosmith? Nope. What is uh, it? It was next. Too close. What? Yeah. Would not have guessed that. Um, I think part of the reason why was because The Boy Is Mine, um, it, most of its chart run was at number one, and then it kind of sort of faded a little bit fast because it was super popular for like 13 weeks. And then it kind of dipped down, whereas Next and Too Close had a really long, sustained run wow. like at the top of the chart wow. for like in the top 10. So yeah, just one of those crazy things. The Boys might end up being the number two hit behind okay. Too Close. Um, fun fact uh, about The Boy Is Mine, the song has been performed, I think, just twice live by Brandy and Monica together. And the first time was at the 1998 MTV Video Music Awards, and I was there to see Whoa. it. Where was it? Where was it? It was at the former uh, Universal Amphitheater, which then turned the Gibson Amphitheater, yes. which now doesn't even exist anymore now because it's, it's Harry now Potter. it's Harry Potter Land. <laughs> um, but that was the first and I first and only VMAs I've ever been to, like in the audience. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've, well, I've never. Oh yeah, all the other times you've done carpets. Yeah, the other times I've been, it's just been me on the carpet somewhere, so I'm not actually in the venue. But right, I was right. actually in the audience watching it. That's amazing. Um, Madonna opened the show with Ray of Light. Oh, my God. Um, Marilyn Manson performed The Dope Show. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, so Brian, that, was the, that was the moment when he came with Rose McGowan in, yeah, the, in, in that, the... that dress. I don't even know what to call that. A uh, fringe dress. Yeah, chain mail or something. Yeah. Um, Backstreet performed Everybody. Oh. Uh, uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra did um, Zoot Suit Ride, this I is, think. This is no uh, uh, Jump, uh, Jive, and Whale. Yes, Jump, Jive, and Whale. Brandy and Monica did the boy. I mean, it was... This is 1998 in a nutshell. Personified. Yeah, for real. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, it was uh, pretty cool to see that. And uh, You might need to write about that for 1998 week. Oh, going to the eight, 1998 yes. VMAs? Wow. Yes. I got to go to the after party, too. I honestly think you should. I'm oh. going to tell Andrew. Oh, when, I was, when I was walking around... And so the after party was actually at Universal um, Studios, like the mm-hmm. back lot. And then and it was like super crowded, and I was there with a friend of mine, and we're like meandering through, and I'm like suddenly like the crowd is just like stopped, and I can't walk anywhere, mm. and I'm like oh my god, and it was like this sort of large sort of 
person thing in front of me that kind of like looked kind of like disheveled and like wearing a leather jacket. I'm like, ugh. I'm like, how do I get past this person? What's going on? And then I realized, oh, it's Rob Zombie. Ah. And he's doing an interview, I think, with Kurt Loder, ah. like for MTV News. I'm like, that's why we're stopped because we can't get past Rob Zombie. Oh my God. That's anyway, amazing. It was a time capsule. 1998. Yeah, so there you have it. Uh, this week back in 1998, The Boy is Mine debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Okay. I'm like, now that's the end of the charts out of the week. Now it's the end of the show. Uh, Any parting words, Katie? Oh, this was fun. I feel like we we should definitely pick like a 1998 song. Ooh, how about something that was like high on your list that we haven't talked about? Ooh, a good one. Um, Stardust, Music Sounds Better With You. Yes. That was like my number two. Really? Like, or three? Yeah, it was in my top three. I love that song. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's go on that and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Okay, parachute's ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.